Welcome to Building Charleston, a podcast where we shine a bright light on the dynamic companies changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine, and as your host each week, I'll be bringing you the most interesting business owners in the Lowcountry. We'll explore how they got to where they are, what they're working on, and what their vision is for the future of Charleston. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused on Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, looking to open a new location, or opening the first location in the Charleston area, give Lane Commercial Real Estate a call at 843-508-3038 or go to the website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com. and welcome to the Building Charleston Podcast. It's good to be back in the studio. Today is May 5th, 2020, Cinco de Mayo and Taco Tuesday. We are recording from my garage in Mount Pleasant, trying to get a mix of fresh air, you know, quality sound acoustics. Right now, you're listening to just one episode in a five-part series we're doing for businesses here in Charleston. The goal of the series is to let our listeners acquire the knowledge they need to stay in business and, if possible, come out of this pandemic bigger and stronger than when they went into it. Today is the second episode in the series, and the topic is strategies for business owners. Here's the format. Yesterday, we recorded what successful tenants are doing with Chip Roberts from Kick and Chicken. Today, we have Matt Pecoy from the McGrath Law Firm. Tomorrow, we will also be having Matt from the McGrath Law Firm talking about strategies for property owners during this pandemic. Episode four is going to feature Mike Seekings and Frank Wells. Mike Seekings is a city council, former mayoral candidate, and Frank Wells from Holy City Med. And then episode five, we're going to have two people, a banker and a non-traditional lender, come on and tell us about some of the resources that are available for businesses here in Charleston. So with that said, we're going to jump right into it. Welcome, Matt Pecoy from the McGrath Law Firm. I also have with me Adam from Lane Commercial Real Estate. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Well, Matt, if you don't mind, for the listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background. Sure. So uh, I'm an attorney, and I practice law with the McGrath Law Firm. My firm has two offices and five lawyers and several support teammates, Matt. We're spread between Concord, New Hampshire, and here in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Uh, My focus is on business and commercial law, and I handle both transactional and litigation work, which is kind of a unique perspective. Most of the time in my profession, you either have just a strictly transactional lawyer or strictly a litigator. Uh, My background to litigation, probably about seven years ago, I pivoted to some transactional work. So I kind of sell myself to clients that I know the impact of the comma in the courtroom, which is something kind of interesting. Part of my practice consists of representing residential and commercial landlords and tenants, Matt, both in lease drafting and negotiations. And then I also litigate those related real estate disputes, uh, breach of leases, foreclosures, partition, and quiet titles. That's great. Well, and it's that interesting background that I think is going to make for an interesting episode today and an interesting episode tomorrow. 
And you know what, Adam, I know a lot about you and I kind of skipped over you in the, the last episode. So my apologies to that. If you would mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm originally from the Charlotte area. been in Charleston for 12 years now. Most of my uh, business career has been in commercial real estate, worked for a few firms down here. And now I'm happy to be part of Lane Commercial as we take over the commercial real estate space in the greater Tri-County area. My man. All right. I like that. So the purpose of today's episode is to help business owners learn about some of the options that are available to them, the downside challenges that come with pandemic and this kind of new world order, and maybe some of the opportunities that come with them. So I think to start with, we'll dive into some just hypothetical scenarios, right? I think that's maybe the best way to kind of get the uh, the conversation moving and flowing. So let's start with a hypothetical scenario number one. I am a business owner and I don't have the money right now to pay my bills and or my rent. What should I do? The first thing that any tenant needs to be aware of, Matt, is there's some protectionary measures that have been acted at some at the federal level, some at the state, some at the local, and also some with some state courts that is going to impact the remedies that they generally could see landlords availing themselves of. And the first thing at the federal level, Matt, is something called the CARES Act. It was signed into law on March 27th. And the biggest impact on tenants is it introduced a moratorium on evictions for a specified class of residential property. At the federal level, you have to be what's considered a federal property in order for that landlord to then come at you with an eviction if you're a tenant. And that has to be um, federally backed mortgage loan or federally backed multifamily mortgage loan. So it could apply to some multifamily borrowers slash landlords. And what it says is that... Uh, the tenant can't be sued in a new eviction action for non-payment of rent itself. Eviction actions that have already been filed, however, were not affected. And that's a federal moratorium that lasts for 120 days. So the first thing I would say to a tenant is taking a look, or if you're faced with uh, eviction filing, contacting an attorney to take a look at this federal legislation is something that could be helpful. Moving on, Matt, under the CARES Act, landlords also, if they have one of those federally backed mortgages, you cannot assess late fees for non-payment of rent. So that's the federal level. Then there's some additional state protections for tenants here currently. A number of governors are acting by executive order. Andrew Cuomo issued one that's made some national news. On a statewide level, uh, Governor McMaster has not necessarily directly addressed this issue of tenancies and vacancies. But, you know, so if, if you're outside of Charleston, that's a potential remedy or outside of South Carolina. How does that apply differently for a residential tenant versus a commercial tenant? So if I have a restaurant or I have an office, do those laws also apply to me? Is, are those eviction moratoriums been extended to the commercial space? Great question, Matt. So the, the, the last layer of sort of regulation on this has been a state court response. State Supreme Courts have enacted legislation. And to your point exactly, on March 18th, Chief Justice Donald Beatty himself issued an order, Matt, stating in part that all evictions currently ordered and scheduled statewide shall be rescheduled for a later date. On April 16th, he said no later than May 1st. And about five days ago, he extended that order until next week. No distinction was made in his order regarding residential or commercial properties. So I would posit to say that it applies to any eviction. Okay. All right. So I guess counter hypothetical scenario to that. What if I do have money to pay my bills? You know, my business is doing well, but I kind of look around and I hear and I see, you know, some sort of rent strike or, you know, some of the stuff that you see online. Is there any wise move or strategy to not paying your rent even if you can? Sure. So tenants need to remember this at the federal, state or local level. None of these moratoriums excuse your rent obligation. All right. All they do is generally halt 
the court processes or the remedies that landlords traditionally traditionally can assert against a tenant for non-payment. So in other words, these laws and moratoriums don't necessarily wash away that obligation. If you have money but don't want to pay it, it's going to be like any other bill. The you know creditor man, the tax man is going to come knocking. And if you have the money but don't want to pay, I would advise my tenants to utilize a concept called war chesting, which is you're going to have to put that money away because if you don't deal with it now, this moratorium are going to end soon and you're going to have to pay the piper. Adam, in your experience with dealing with commercial real estate tenants down here in the Charleston area, what have you seen for tenants that you're working with who either have the money or don't have the money, but just are in a position where they don't feel obligated or they're, they're not comfortable paying the rent at this time? I think the first thing you do is you go speak with your landlord. You know, it's just having an open conversation about it. A lot of these groups are, you know, there's some sort of forbearance where the rent's either being just amortized back into the existing, they get a few months off, or it's just added on to the end of the term. So I've seen two to five months right now. Okay. How the range. Being extended. All right. So, all right, another hypothetical question. The average retail tenant, for example, in Charleston has about five years on their lease. That means uh, at any given time, you know, one in 10 tenants has a lease renewal coming up in six months. So hypothetical question here. What do you do in this environment if you have a lease renewal coming up? How do you approach a lease renewal in this market? I would advise any tenant to reassess your needs first. The impact of this new stay-at-home work culture, Matt, it could greatly impact a tenant's workforce. I can't tell you how the impact is going to morph the brick-and-mortar business in the future, but sometimes some sentiment favors, we're going to see an adjustment. We're going to see a shift in terms of lower needs for occupancy, downsizing of your footprint, and potentially other reductionary measures um, for commercial space needs. Furthermore, Matt, you know, we may see a redesigning of office spaces themselves, either through mandatory legislation or just to keep your employees feeling safe at work. And that change may also impact renewals. So that being said, still at the end of the day, the terms of your lease are going to be your baseline to control. Once again, these legislations, COVID themselves, they haven't altered contracts. So your lease itself is going to be the baseline for a renewal, Matt. Mm -hmm. Any amendment to that generally has to be mutually agreed by the landlord and the tenant. So summarize this, after a business owner's planned and projected his needs, what I generally invite them is review the renewal portion of the lease and then begin discussions with the landlord. Landlords, they might be willing to deviate and allow more flexibility in the lease renewal period as a result of this COVID. And if anything, I think we're going to see requests to downsize leases is going to come in terms of renewals, at least. Okay. Adam, what have you felt on your end? Are tenants looking to downsize or are there any specific uh, clauses or caveats that they're looking to maintain? I mean, this might even be a topic for, you know, force majeure. Is that something that you've seen popping up? You hear it a lot now, but it was one of those things and I'm not an attorney and maybe Matt can speak more to it. It's kind of like the pandemic. You knew eventually we'd probably see one, but not in our lifetime, right? Sure. But it's one of those things you saw on the leash, you saw on the contract and you rolled your eyes and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime event that never going to happen. Yeah. I'm not going to use this, right? Right. Yeah. I I think um, kind of to to Matt's point, I think we're all going to see moving forward restructuring of just office space, retail space, the brick and mortar. I think we're going to start seeing some smaller tenant sizes. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, if if I am, I think it's, you know, good in any kind of negotiation to kind of, you know, recognize what your counterparty is thinking, right? If I lease commercial space and I'm listening to this podcast, what is going on in the landlord's world? What kind of pressures and challenges is the landlord facing right now that a tenant has to be aware of? 
Matt, I, I'd say forbearance, forbearance, forbearance. My landlord clients right now are scrambling to balance sort of this working relationship with tenants, with lease obligations, and then to get some rent on the back end. Most landlord clients have negotiated forbearance agreements with their tenants, Matt, and it's generally on a month-to-month basis. A lot of my landlord clients are not carte blanche saying, all right, you don't have to pay for three months, but generally it's a, I understand what's going on right now. We will forbear collection and then discussion of how that's going to get paid back happens pretty quickly thereafter. Is the landlord getting any sort of benefit or are they kind of having to come out of pocket to, to kind of handle this? There are some things that were put in, in place in terms of legislation to help a landlord, but at the end of the day, if a tenant's not paying rent, the landlord doesn't have income either. So he's got his own set of issues. Okay. So it's not like the CARES Act or PPP or something like that. There's a lot of stuff for businesses out there, but there really isn't anything out there for, for the landlord. So you may be getting some sort of deal for your landlord, but the landlord's taking on a whole new set of challenges without maybe some of the help that tenants are experiencing. Is that, is that correct? Well, Matt, you know, it's interesting. As part of the CARES Act, there is a program, the, the PPP, Payroll Protection Program, and it is drafted very, very widely. And it provides small businesses with funds to pay up to eight weeks of payroll costs, including benefits. It also allows independent contractors slash sole proprietorships to help get in some payment there. I have not assisted a landlord to make an application underneath the PPP characterizing his rental business as one of these, but I haven't seen anything that would prohibit it. So I would go so far to say is if you're a landlord who has a bunch of occupied space without rent, give the PPP a try. Talk to your SBA lender. All right. Well, with that said, uh, if you're a landlord out there and you're looking to PPP and you want to make some legal history, maybe give Matt Picoy a call. I would love to be looking over your shoulder as, uh, as you maneuver that one. So with any business cash crunches out there, there's the traditional means banks. We've talked about PPP. There's also you have what are kind of you know non-traditional means. So private lenders, hard money lenders, whatever you want to call it. There's sale leasebacks. Let's talk about the pros and cons to some of these non-traditional means, what's good about them and what's not. And then let's talk about sale leasebacks for a little bit. So Matt, what kind of non-traditional means are out there? What do you need to be wary of? Sure. So again, I think the PPP, I'd consider it non-traditional. It's it's a type of lending through a bank. You have to find an SBA lender, Matt. But in terms of the non-traditional nature of the payroll protection program, which was authorized under the CARES Act, there's a forgiveness element to it. In order to apply for it, you have to go to an existing SBA lender through any federally insured depository bank. From there, you have to go through the application process, et cetera. What happens then is loan payments will be deferred for six months if you get approved. So, you know, you basically get free money without having to put payments on. And then the forgiveness of that loan will be reduced if full-time headcount declines or if salaries decline. So in English, it means there's some non-traditional rules to this loan that otherwise say your workforce is six and they're all paid 50K a year. At the end of the term, I believe that that headcount must remain six and they have to stay with sort of same type salaries. Mm-hmm. So that's the non-traditional, traditional lending route, so to speak, Matt. Mm-hmm. In terms of private lending, et cetera, that's always a escape valve for landlords who are stuck in a bind. Private lending, you're going to see higher interest rates. They may seek a different set of underwriting, additional collateral in terms of second mortgages granted on real estate, et cetera. Your terms are going to be less favorable at the private route, but also those whose credit won't be approved from traditional means are more likely to get some escape funding. Okay. Adam, I know you've talked to a lot of you know different lenders, a lot of, I guess, call it non-traditional sources of capital. What have you seen from the, I guess, called the non-traditional sources of capital that have been going out and, and talking to businesses 
I know we've talked a lot about the landlord side, but what have you heard from uh, non-traditional lenders talking to businesses right now? What are they looking for? Is it is it a mature market or is it something that's still kind of undefined right now? It seems to be a little undefined, truthfully. I think the idea for a lot of groups is kind of the sale leaseback route. Pricing is still kind of one of those issues. Where is it going to shake out? Where are we heading? Mm-hmm. It's still unclear, but there's plenty of money out there. You know, the banks are flush. Well, relative, mm-hmm. you know, but there's plenty of capital groups, especially in a market like Charleston, people want to be and they want to own property in Charleston. So, you know, all that being said, there's still a lot of interest in doing sale leasebacks. It's just, yeah. let's see where we head. For the listeners out there who might not understand a sale leaseback, tell us, what what is a sale leaseback? What do you have to have? What does it entail? Great question, Matt. What, uh, <laughs> what you see in a lot of... Um, you know, brick and mortar current, a business owns their real estate and it is a great way to liquidate and free up some cash by selling the asset to a, um, a buyer. Then in turn, signing a lease for, you know, five, 10, 15 years. But however, those terms still need to be favorable to the new owner of the property. So there's pros and cons to it, but. Yeah. So by selling the property and leasing it back, they're able to unlock the equity that's in their property. They can then use that towards the operations of their business, uh, overcome any, you know, some, some cash flow issues. They don't own the property anymore, but they've unlocked that equity, allowing them to stay in the property that they run their business in. So another set of hypothetical questions, if you will. This one's really easy. In this market, if I'm a business and I'm doing well, do I expand or do I not expand? What are kind of the, some of the pros and cons to a business who's doing well, may see some opportunity out there, are either of you ex- advising your clients to expand in this market? In terms of going to new locations, I think so. I think you expand. I think it's all about the strategy, how your business is currently doing. We had Chip Roberts on the show yesterday. You know, Chip's business, they're doing well. They're at a perfect price point. They can thrive in different markets and they can thrive in different economies. You know, I think it's looking at the overall big picture of your business and where you need to go. If it makes sense, then yes, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, growth doesn't stop even a downturn. You know, you still have to consider what's next and what's best for you in the business. Excellent. Matt, are there any risks to expanding right now that you're advising your clients on? Yeah, I think that's the unknown uncertainty. I think, again, when counseling my business clients regarding, you know, lease renewals, potential expansions, I'm harping on the importance of a team and the importance of due diligence and investigation of your needs. I'm of the mindset that our, our work culture could be changed permanently. I'm not sure if it's going to be bad or good, but I do think it's going to be with less of a footprint, more people staying at home either through company order or that's what people have realized is that I can be at home and do my work and they may start to seek out that type of work arrangement. So That's a good segue into this thing that's kind of been, I've, I've not had a good answer to this question from anybody, so hopefully... Uh, this will be at least a decent one. Are there any kind of legal liabilities out there for a business owner who may have, if I'm retail, having customers come to my site, or if I'm a, an office owner and I bring people back to, to work too soon, and then you know there's an outbreak within my office? Are there any known legal liabilities that a business owner should be aware of? Your question touches on a patchwork and a spider web of potential pitfalls, Matt. So the answer is yes. Um, you know, the, the ones that stick out the most are these new regulations, these moratoriums, these stay-at-home orders, et cetera. From a criminal liability standpoint, I'm informed and from some of the legislation I've read that cops have been empowered to break up groups, 
past that. I think general negligence standards are going to apply and are probably going to be used such that it's it's a reasonable person. So if you open up your doors when the other businesses in your area, on your block, in your shopping center have not, somebody catches it and gets sick and you didn't implement any sort of precautionary measures, I think a general negligence standard could lead to liability. So long answer to your question, Matt, there's no new novel ideas, but we already have a framework for negligence and I think common sense guides the discussion discussion there in the decision. Okay. I like it. So another set of questions. If you rent your commercial space right now, you're, you're a business owner, is this an opportunity to go out and buy something? Adam, I'll let you start with this. Is this a, is this a buying opportunity from you know going from renting to buying? I think we're still a little early. I okay. think if you're looking for value, maybe it's a couple of months away. You know, like, Have you seen any softness in the pricing? I have not. Okay. I haven't seen softness in leasing or sales, you know, price. sales prices. But it's like I said, it's too early to tell for a lot of things, but I, I think there's going to be some adjustment in pricing. How much longer do we go until you start seeing some, some softness, do you think? I think we're going to start seeing it in the summer and then definitely mm-hmm. third quarter of the year. Okay. Matt, are there any risks that a business owner needs to be aware of if they're going from a tenant of a space to being the owner of the property? Well, it, it depends on your needs. If your needs is just full occupancy without deriving revenue from then leasing to other tenants, you know, of course, again, planning for the future, doing doing your your analysis, your view of your pipeline, your um, speculation of the footprint is a risk. And then also, if you're going to pivot into the landlord owner context, there's again a potential risk for what's the new market price going to be for that commercial space. I think pro formas and forecasts could be a little disrupted. Okay, I like that. So we are, we're 20 something minutes into this. We're going to start winding it down with, uh, with a couple of high level questions here. What is something that you've learned about yourself, or your business in the last few weeks? Sure. Well, in my business, I've learned that the legal profession contains some of the most dedicated and resilient folks. Despite the ability to foreclose or evict that we talked about, lawyers have been in high demand and my peers have all remained at work all through trying times of what's going on with, you know, kids at home, these stresses. So lawyers continue to impress me. Furthermore, about my teammates, I've I've learned that the people in my firm are some of the most exceptional people I've been around. You know, they've been part of that effort despite the risks and despite the concerns, which have been nice. I work with a great group of people and I guess personally, I miss my mom. I haven't seen her in like, you know, two months. She's in Greenville. She's older than I am. So we've been kind of being cautious I miss live music, dude. I really miss live music, but that's at the bottom of the barrel. But this has reminded me how much I love live music. It's times like this that you start to realize what's important and, and what you really care about. What about you, Adam? Is there anything that you've learned about yourself, or your business in the last few months? That I need a lot of social interaction. This has been really difficult. I have a you know small family, so it's been great. I've had a, a tremendous time hanging out with my little girl and my wife, but you know, this podcast in your garage is probably one of the highlights of my uh, quarantine. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. So last question here before we wrap up, what is your vision for this is here in Charleston as we kind of navigate this COVID thing, kind of come out of this COVID thing? Will we continue to see Charleston be a, you know, a vibrant place for small businesses? Are you hoping maybe the development slows down? What is your vision for uh, Charleston as we begin this kind of next chapter in Charleston's history? Don't change folly. I think Folly Beach is one of the raddest beaches uh, in America. It's like they filmed Back to the Future and then stopped rolling the cameras. So my vision is don't change Folly. It's okay. awesome. I like it. What's your vision for Charleston as we move into this next chapter? I'm all about redevelopment of Folly. 
Uh, <laughs> nice, dude. I'd love nice. to see a lot more multifamily, high rises, maybe yeah. condo projects. You want to catch an injunction out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be fighting after we push pause on this. So I can't think of a better way to close up. Guys, that was, uh, that was a fantastic episode. Thank you both for being on the Building Charleston podcast. As a listener, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Our goal with this podcast has always been the same to help you grow your business here in the low country. You know, today's world, we've got a lot of different challenges. A few people were prepared for. If you are a business owner in the low country or you're listening to this podcast from outside the Charleston area and you're thinking, hey, you know, Charleston's got a lot of good stuff going for it. I want to move here. Reach out to myself or Adam. Lane Commercial Real Estate will help you navigate the real estate side and help you achieve your goals. Furthermore, what we don't do on the commercial real estate side, we've got a great relationship with subject matter experts uh, in all matters not related to real estate. Matt Picoy, you know, being a great uh, example of that. As always, our contact information is going to be in the show notes at the bottom of this episode, as well as Matt. So if you have a question, you want to reach out to any of us directly, you know, please do that. Finally, Building Charleston is still 20 plus episodes now sponsored by Pop Popcorn. Carmen and Nate are still selling their popcorn at multiple carryout locations across the Charleston area. All those locations also in the show notes. They've been hard at work throughout the downturn. They still have the original flavor. They've got beet popcorn. They've got matcha flavored. In honor of Cinco de Mayo, they now have salted lime. They came out with lemon pepper. They got a great new website. So if you want to buy it online, you can do that too. Highly encourage you to go out there and buy some pop popcorn. Matt, we've got a bag for you, you know, off to a stage left there for you when you leave. So we're all doing a good job supporting our local companies. If you get a chance, go out there and get some pop popcorn. So with that, thank you to all the guests. Thank you for the listeners for listening and tuning in today. Go out there, everyone, and be safe, be responsible, and make it a great day. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused exclusively on representing Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, downsizing, looking to open a new location, or opening the first office in the Charleston area, Give us a call at 843-508-3038 or go to our website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com.